www.tcsm.com or by calling 1-888-9-TCM-SHOP. I'm Robert Osborne. So far this November, we've seen our Star of the Month for Lancaster giving very strong performances in such Lancaster essentials as The Killers and From Here to Eternity and the movie we just showed, Sweet Smell of Success. But you know, even though he gave many great performances during his lifetime, Burt won the Oscar only once, and it was for the movie we have coming up next. It's Elmer Gantry from 1960, and Burt always downplayed his work in this movie. He always said, it's the easiest part I ever played. He said, I was just playing myself. But it was acting, tremendous acting. We're very glad to be able to bring it to you now. Not only to salute Bert, but all the other great people in the film. Gene Simmons, Arthur Kennedy, Dean Jagger, and Shirley Jones. Shirley also receiving an Oscar as the year's Best Supporting Actress for her work in the film. Elmer Gantry was released, as I said, in 1960, but the story itself had been around for years, since 1927, as a matter of fact, written by the esteemed Sinclair Lewis but was ignored by Hollywood for all those years for a very good reason. Nobody dared to try to make it into a movie. The story was too racy to be made while the Hollywood production code was being strictly enforced. And the main reason for Hands Off, it cast slurs on religion. And nobody was willing to tackle a story that did that. They'd be tarred and feathered if they did. But by 1960, the screen was loosening up a bit. The old production code that dictated what could and couldn't be put on film had basically been disbanded in favor of a rating system. In fact, when Elmer Gantry was released, theater owners were obliged to make sure no one under 16 was able to buy a ticket to see it. Richard Brooks, who directed the movie and wrote the screenplay, was somebody who spent years trying to get someone to let him make the movie. It took him two years to write what was deemed an acceptable script. When he was able to make the movie, he surprised so many people when he cast Shirley Jones as a prostitute named Lulu. Sweet Shirley from Oklahoma and Carousel as a hooker. But it paid off for Brooks, for Shirley Jones, and for the movie. And as it was such a big payoff for Burt Lancaster as well. But here it is from 1960, the story of a charming charlatan and con man named Elmer Gantry. Hello, welcome to the show. You just heard a clip about Burt Lancaster, and you're thinking to yourself while you're scratching your head, holy heck, is this the movie channel? No, it's not, but keep in mind, movies are a very important way that they have been communicating with us, and um, the deal is this, I was thinking about an old movie, and thinking always gets me going, right? And it was starring Burt Lancaster. Burt Lancaster, very famous Hollywood deceiver, probably one of the best. And how does this play into Jesus and all of this? Well, because as it turns out, Burt Lancaster played a pretty significant role in a movie called Elmer Gantry. Okay, it was 
done in 1960, the area that we're focusing around. Always looking for patterns here, okay? I think that there's quite a bit of confusion going on and I'd like to address a little bit of it right now. I have tried to address the Bible in the past and I have not said very much. If you think back or if you go back and listen, I have said very little about the Bible. I have said that I was not raised understanding the Bible. I have said I have a picture of myself with one outfit on that indicates I must have gone to a church at some point. But what happened over what's happened over the past is happening again, so I'd like to address it. A lot of people stopped following me because they felt like that I was an atheist and they supported what I was doing because they they had me confused with being an atheist. How'd they get confused? I don't have any idea because I talk on air and <laughs> have talked for uh, many, many years online, on air, and I've pretty much had the same consistent message. So how people started thinking I was an atheist, I don't have any clue. I was not raised by atheists. I'm not an atheist. And it disappointed a lot of people in me, and they said they could no longer hear from me because they thought I was an atheist like they are. Well, thinking gets you in trouble sometimes because that was never true. And because of all of this stuff, I have been very careful in my wording all this time about the Bible. I'm not here to take away anything that gives you comfort. But you need to also understand, this is a CIA operation, okay? We first had the MK7, which was my generation. Go look at YouTube for that show. People tend to get these operations confused and and act like they're just going, it's the same old thing, okay? We had the MK7, which was to, there's been a million of them. I'm just going to point out a couple. The MK7, which was to create dissension in the families, and boy, did it ever, and create the hippie movement, okay, by giving us LSD and stuff. That was a specific movement, okay? Then they had another specific movement called Operation, it was uh, Birds of a Feather. And all that was, was when they used to get together, I don't know if they still do, the tech people, the CIA agents, they got together and they would have meetings, okay? They had these meetings called Birds of a Feather. Out of one of the Birds of a Feather meeting came the entire idea about how to use the internet to better track us, okay? That, that came out of that event. Clearly, there must be some event or some... This this religious thing has to have some category within the CIA, okay? What what the name of it is, I don't know, okay? But clearly, the CIA has a pretty determined group of people in there to talk about religion, okay? They control Hollywood. We have a whole history of religious Hollywood movies, religious... We have war movies. That is all to brainwash us, Okay? Everybody wants to sit around and think that if you look the wrong way, they're going to slip a chip under your skin, okay? They don't need to get that drastic. It would help if people would learn to understand how they have been brainwashing us. People right now are so brainwashed. We're so far away from chips under the skin that I'm not even going to go there, okay? If you want to hang around bit shoot with and get a lot of bad information, please Please, just do whatever you want to do, okay? But this is a CIA operation, including social media, including BitChute, including YouTube. 
YouTube is owned by Google. How much more how much more obvious can we get here, people? Okay, so this is look at it like a big stage, okay? They're putting their performers on the stage. Billy Graham is not a man of God. He is a man of acting, okay? That is all an act. It is an act, okay? And I always look for patterns because I keep saying they're one-trick ponies, okay? For years, I've said they're hiding in plain sight. Look, they're all around us. What did I get for that? Well, being called crazy, but in fact, it is true, right? They are hiding all around us. They're hiding in the wrong sex. All around us, they're hiding, right? In plain sight, they're hiding. So in order to get to us, they have to keep the... the think about it this way. This is a, this is a troop, an, an acting troop that we're looking at here, okay? We've got the military troop over there doing the, doing the more dangerous stuff. And we've got the people who are tricking our minds, the gypsy troop. They just pulled up in a caravan, okay? They get out of the caravan. I used to see gypsies as kids when we lived in Spain. They get out of the caravan. There's always a lot of chaos. Sound familiar? Lots of chaos. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of dancing, that da -da 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 -da, that music, the violins. In Spain, they had the flamenco dancers clapping away, that repetitive sound. That Jesus music sounds exactly like the Jewish music, sounds exactly like the gypsy music. See where this is all going? So anyway, so yeah, this is all just a big orchestrated thing. So I'm not trying to separate you from your beliefs. I'm just here to talk to you about what I'm finding in research, okay? The patterns are this. This is how I see it. And if you see it differently, you've got to tell me in more than one line. Don't try to dump it on me in a one sentence because that's not going to work. What the pro process seems to be here, at least according to what I'm seeing, is there's this effort. And Billy Graham, I did a, um, I released an audio of him a couple of shows ago. I did not comment during that audio for a purpose. The idea is for everybody to think for themselves. Let me tell you what I heard in that, okay? What I heard was this repetitive message that, he said over and over again, I don't care or we don't care, whoever doesn't care, if you come from Jews, if you come from Baptists, if you come from this or that. He lists off an entire string of religions. And then they come in with the, the clincher. They say, but you have to get to God through Jesus. Okay. Now, if that doesn't cause any alarms for you, then I'm okay with that. Why would I not be okay with that? I'm sharing research, not trying to tell you how to run your life. So, yeah, so that is what I see as the tripwire of this deal, okay? Get everybody convinced that you must, in order to get to God, you have to go through Jesus. So, believe what you want. I'm just sharing research. I'm just sharing research. So, that is how we got where we are today with all the dramatics, all the acting. So, while the gypsies in the front are singing and dancing, everybody's laughing and the music is so much fun and the children are rubbing around the dirt and everybody's just having a blast, right? Well, what's going on behind the scenes? Well, the other gypsies are back in the parking lot. They're robbing the cars. They're they're putting paint marks over your windshields. They're they're stripping off your radiator cap so they can turn them into <laughs> metal. So, it's an act it's an act. It's an act. I can't even tell you one more time. It's all a big act. So anyway, so yeah, so, and they do come across as some pretty funny things. This is going to be a little bit scattered feeling for you today because I'm going to be talking about Billy Graham again. Haven't gotten rid of him yet. Um, Burt Lancaster, very key role here. And, you know, I was thinking about this other movie 
and the other movie was the one with Burt Lancaster. Well, I went to look at the other movie. What did I find? Oh, well, right off the bat, I barely looked because I wanted to see if they thought, was Elmer Gantry considered film noir? That was on my mind. So I went to look. And if you want to cut down your looking, just put wiki at the end of your term, like do El Elmer Gantry wiki, and that'll get you right there. So I did the Elmer Gantry film noir, and I wasn't coming up with anything because I got distracted. <laughs> I got immediately distracted. And I'll tell you in a few minutes why I got so distracted, because the gypsies rose again. The gypsies are in town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. turns out the song about the... Um, the song in Elmer Gantry, the whole thing, yeah, gypsies, 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 including the guy who did it all happened to be raised in a castle in Hungary. <laughs> I I couldn't make this stuff up if I sat around and tried harder. So anyway, so, um, oh yeah, this was a good one. Um, I don't know where to put this comment, so I'll just put it here. Sometimes they have, when I'm doing research, it's always very interesting. And the reason I'm going to ramble around today is because I dug up some very interesting stories that they wrote about Burt Lancaster and about this other movie guy. The other movie guy, very significant, considered like the king dog in the uh, film noir world, very talented person. I, I, I openly admit I consider these people to be highly intelligent. Ta talented. When I worked in marketing and technology, I, I, I appreciate good good work and I give them credit. They have done a pretty good job on the stuff they did back then with the movies and stuff. Now it's all being driven by computers and not quite so interesting. But yeah, the guy who did this whole thing, um, the cinematography and stuff, really <laughs> pretty impressive work. So what? It, so I run across all these quotes and stuff because remember, the internet is their place to track us and trick us, right? So they have you just picture there's some sort of headquarters place where all these losers are sitting around dreaming up these stories, and some of the stories they write up never quite match up with the other stories because there's different writers and stuff. And these people aren't exactly. I think if the original team. The team from the 40s and 50s was here now tricking us. I think they'd have a smoother road. But they're still able to do it now because people are so, um, um, well, attached to their phones to the point that no one's looking up. So anyhow, so, yeah, this was a pretty funny one. Um, it was a quote by Warren Buffett. Sometimes I wonder if these people own mirrors. It was, um, the tide has gone out and we can see who is swimming naked. <laughs> Yeah, and one other thing, and I'll get going here. Um, I think the best film noir movie I've seen so far is one with Loretta Young. It is a doozy. It is called Cause for Alarm in 1951. Go watch it. You'll find it. It's, just, it's, it's a doozy. It's, it's that normal person caught in a trap, can't quite get out. They did. They roll over did themselves on that one. And the thing about film noir is you have to pay attention to it. You can't be texting and you know all that other kind of stuff, so... Anyways, um, yeah, so let's get back to Burt Lancaster. But first, let me give you a little background here about Billy. Was I going Billy first? Yeah, this is, this is where I tie them together. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. I think, and I'm not going to research this. If you want to research it, great. Let me know what you find out. 
go look at Mitchell E. Brooks' channel. He he did all the work with the um, how they do all the acting and play different roles and stuff. I'm pretty convinced that Burt Lancaster was also playing the role of Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster. Why do I think that? Well, because I'm crazy, maybe? No, because... Um, well, because back then, there weren't a lot of beefcakes, right? They didn't pump up a lot of the men into the big muscular things with the testosterone. So it trawled into my little pea brain here that Burt Lancaster certainly had a beefed-up look, and so did Kirk Russell. Well, yeah, they're born about the same time, and maybe Billy Graham is the same person. The three of them could be playing the same role is what I'm saying here. And if that doesn't tell you this is all acting, I'm not really sure what to tell you. So... How I got Billy Graham in this. Wow, what a windy road this has been the last day or so. Okay, throughout Billy Graham's career, the evangelist sought performative manners to ensure that he would not be perceived as another Elmer Gantry or huckster preacher out to win money, fame, and favor. Graham's intent was to grow a ministry that would form a new performance a new performance paradigm for American revivalism. Do you hear how many times I said performance? I didn't write this. They did, okay? So um, part of what they did was by bringing Burt Lancaster in because at that time, and probably still today, Burt Lancaster was considered a screen god, okay? He was also allegedly into the gay Hollywood sex scene, but Bert was really a woman. <laughs> so, I don't know how much he was screwing around. He had a couple of, I have his biography around here somewhere. I used to read all these things. I believe them all, every word of it. Yeah, that his one wife, I used to feel so sorry for her because she was just a pathetic alcoholic. Well, I don't know. Maybe he drove her to drink. Maybe her being a man in a wig and having to act like a woman drove her to drink. A lot of variables here, right? So, yeah, so they really played up Bert pretty well. So we we really need to look at the backstory they gave Bert and this other gypsy freak who did the cinematography. So they said, on screen, even as critics said Bert Lancaster looked like a god. The rugged film idol with a chiseled profile makes today's leading men seem effete and insubstantial. Effeminate, yeah. <laughs> Lancaster's greatest talent in films like From Here to Eternity, whose critics love scenes in the surf. He, he did this big love scene in the surf with an actress named Deborah Kerr. It scandalized Hollywood censors in 1953 and was to capture the manly heterosexuality of Burt Lancaster. <laughs> so even in the 1950s, when his career was at its peak, Lancaster's second wife, Norma, probably Norman, and his many mistresses talked darkly of his passion for all kinds of sexual activity and partners, male or female. Now, documents revealed by the FBI and his family this week, probably a few years ago, reveal that Lancaster, troubled by bouts of insecurity and depression, had an intensely predatory sex life, which included many affairs with men. Well, that testosterone does have a highly sexual active component to it testosterone give these kids testosterone 
you got a highly active social um, sexual child on your hands okay so this part about this big sexual life doesn't surprise me because he is a woman beefed up on tea i used to think it was different back then i thought maybe some of it was true but yeah an intense sexual life could be a true part of the story right because that's what happens when women take testosterone so Lancaster, who won an Oscar in 1961 for his portrayal of an errant evangelist in Elmer Gantry, came under FBI surveillance after director J. Edgar Hoover, <laughs> remember J. Edgar Hoover, the cross-dresser, right? No, nobody, nobody really hiccuped too hard on J. Edgar. They're always testing us. So J. Edgar Hoover, the famous cross-dresser, who, by the way, let's, let me just clear something up here, okay? If I find one of these people that I'm sure is not transgender, I will point them out, okay? But from here on out, just figure that they're transgender, right? They hide as gay. They hide as all kinds of things. So J. Edgar, Edgar Hoover regarded the actor as a threat to U.S. security because of his sexual inclinations. In one batch of the newly released documents dating from the 50s, FBI agents placed Lancaster at a slew of homosexual parties that became even more debauched and extravagant. Yeah, I think they do all kinds of weird things. I've never denied that. I think they're very mean to children and their pets and all that. So, yeah. Um, according to these reports, Lancaster, along with his friend Rock Rock, rock, rock. We're back to rocks again, right? Rock Hudson laid the foundation for the open and promiscuous lifestyle many gays in Hollywood live today. Big turning point. And we have our guy, Burt Lancaster, at the center of it all. What the FBI documents reveal is a star with an overwhelming appetite to consume those around him through physical conquest. He was, in short, a sex addict who, like all addicts, found his found in his addiction a release for his insecurities boy these people really have him analyzed don't they it was lancaster's early life in these slums <laughs> i said i wasn't gonna laugh in the 1920s new york city slums that undoubtedly helped shape his intense appetites his <laughs> his mother lizzie was a domineering matriarch who thrashed her sons into shape. Lancaster was born on November 2nd, 1913 in Manhattan, New York. And I'm really sure with a little bit of work, we'd find he's a Jew, but I don't have all the time of the day. So you'll have to take my word for it. And if you think I'm wrong, go prove me wrong. Okay. So he's born in New York, November 2nd, 1913. Lots of threes there, right? Um, at his parents' home at 2.0... 209 East 106th Street, the son of Elizabeth, but we call her Lizzie in a bit here. She was originally a Roberts, and his father was a mailman. <laughs> mailman meaning he's probably a banker, right? Opening envelopes with money in them. His father's name was James Lancaster. Both of his parents were Protestants of hard class, working class origin. All four of his grandparents were immigrants from Ireland to the United States, from the province of Ulster. His maternal grandparents were from Belfast and were descendants of English immigrants to Ireland. 
So it looks like we have a lot of Irish Jews here. <laughs> so, Lancaster grew up in East Harlem. What a, what a rough ride that guy had, right? And spent much of his time on the streets. He, deve and he developed, I think this part may have been true. He developed a great interest and skill in gymnastics while attending DeWitt, DeWitt Clinton High School, where he was a basketball star. Before he graduated from DeWitt Clinton, his mother died of cerebral hemorrhage. Huh, I wonder if the hormones, they get a lot of brain hemorrhages and stuff from hormones, but anyway. Lancaster was accepted by New York University with an athletic scholarship. Oh, good for him. Oh, but he substantially dropped out. Okay. Yeah, he had a rough life, and then he got into the circus stuff, okay? Um, <laughs> so, I, I, I still believe that a lot of these early experiments with hormones they're doing on themselves because I can see that in the growth hormone thing. I can see that in why are Bert and Kirk, a few of them only getting the big hormones, and why are them, they also highly connected at the top somewhere? Yeah, they're testing on themselves. So uh, so the story about how they got together and started the circus stuff was funny. At the age of nine, of course it was nine, right? Three threes. Burt Lancaster met Nick Kravitz, with whom he developed a lifelong partnership. Nick plays a pretty important role. Together they learned to act in local theater productions and circus acts at Union Settlement one of the city's oldest settlement houses. In the 1930s, I remember Bert was, I think I told you his birth date. Oh, I'll get to that. Bert, 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 Jimmy, and all of them were born about the same time. So, they formed a, um, in the 1930s, they formed the acrobat duo Lang and Kravitz. Now, why it was Lang, I don't know. But they, um, because his name was um, not Lang. But anyway, so... Oh, Lancaster. God, I'm an idiot today. <laughs> Lang and Kravitz was the act. Okay. They joined the K Brothers Circus. However, in 1939, an injury forced Lancaster to give up their profession with great regret. He then found temporary work. First as a salesman for Marshall Fields, big Jew-run company out of Chicago, and then as a sink singing waiter in various songs and i will be si i will be singing no don't run i'm not gonna be singing i will be playing a song that burt lancaster sung in the movie elmer gantry which is highly highly coded and specific here okay yeah even their song was sung so get me home anyway so yeah so uh of course burt was in the war so after the United States entered World War II, Lancaster joined... I got, his, his information got a little fuzzy here, okay? He joined the United States Army in 42 and performed with the Army's 21st <laughs> Special Services Division, one of the military groups organized to follow the troops on the ground and provide USO entertainment to keep up morale. Yeah, and keep men lusting after men in wigs, right? He served with General Mark Clark's 5th Army in Italy from 1943 to 1945. Good for Bert. Okay, so he returned to New York after his Army service. Although 
initially unenthusiastic about acting, Lancaster, now, now how he got into the army troupe, I guess he got in because he was a gymnast, but then he had been a circus worker, but then he had had to give that up because of injuries, but now we have him performing for the army in Italy. See how it can start to get a little bit confusing. <laughs> so, so yeah, so um, after he got back from his non-acting job, I guess, in the army, um, he was unenthusiastic about acting. But he was encouraged to audition for a Broadway play by a producer who saw him in an elevator while he was visiting his then-girlfriend at work. (laughs) The audition was successful, and Lancaster was cast in Harry Brown's A Sound of Hunting in 1945. The show only ran three weeks, but his performance attracted the interest of a Hollywood agent, Howard Heck. Lancaster had other offers, but imagine all this. He was just in an elevator one day, right? But Heck promised him the opportunity to produce their own movies within five years of hitting Hollywood, which he then did go on to do. So, through Heck, Lancaster was brought to the attention of producer Hal B. Wallace, who signed him to a non-exclusive eight-movie contract. Okay? He did star in some, you know, he kind of went away for a number of years after the 50s and 60s and the gantry thing. Um, In 1970, Lancaster starred in the box office hit, the air disaster drama Airport. He experienced a career resurgence in 1980 with the crime romance Atlantic City, which I must say was an excellent movie. Atlantic City starring him and Susan Sarandon. And he got Best Actor, his fourth Oscar nominations. He appeared in television miniseries. So he continued acting in the late 70s until a stroke. I wonder if it was the hormones. And those hormones really do a number on the hearts. <laughs> when the hormones aren't getting them, they're getting them surgically. So until a stroke in 1990 forced him to retire. And four years later, he died from a heart attack. His final role was the Oscar-nominated Field of Dreams. Now, that was a phenomenal movie. Um, They did have more brain power back then, but maybe it's just me. Watch for yourself and see. This whole idea of sharing my research is to help you to um, have some information that you can expand on, not to just sit and stare at a device and then wonder why I didn't say this or that, because there's only so many hours in the day. So... So, let me explain one scene in it's significant in um, Elmer Gantry. In one dramatic sequence, Gantry performed a running slide, meaning he went flying and went sliding onto the ground, okay, as he exhorted the crowd to convert to Jesus. With Jesus, you're saved, and without him, you're lost. And how do I know there's a merciful God? Because I've seen the devil plenty of times, and he runs and slides. Any punk ball player can make a slide like that, but how many folks have got the guts to play ball on God's team? And listen to this. The captain of that team is Jesus Christ himself. So come on, man, woman, child. Who will be the first you shake hands for Jesus? 
come on now, everyone. Are you going to make me beg and beg when I'm offering you my Jesus? Did the Savior die in vain? Did he suffer on the cross for nothing? So, why'd they put Bird in that role? Well, for a lot of reasons. Because um, he was initially known for playing tough guys with a tender heart. That was his way that he hooked us in, right? He went on to achieve success with more complex and challenging roles on a 45-year career in later television. So, yeah, he was a very key, key, key part here, okay? Um, and lots of Oscars, good connection team. He acted in teams like uh, movies like Trapeze in 1956. Uh, the guy was talented as far as his acrobatic skills. I mean, there's I, I don't think they were using doubles when he was actually doing that thing. I, I believe he really did do his own stunt double work. Um, so then it got really interesting. Because I thought, well, I couldn't quite figure out if it was a film noir or not because I went to look if it was a film noir and I got all caught up in all these gypsy people. <laughs> <laughs> gypsies, gypsies, gypsies. Who's the next gypsy up here? Well, a guy named or a woman named John Alton, A L T O N. This was this 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 whole thing with John Alton got started because all I was thinking about was didn't I see a movie about a religious thing with Burt Lancaster and now I ended up here, right? What a long windy road this has been. John Alton, master of the film noir mood. That clearly got my attention, right? With such films as T-Men, Raw Deal, The Big Combo, the iconic cinematographer's influential work formed the very foundation of the dark film style. Well, who's John Alton? <laughs> Funny you should ask. Born John, J-O-H-A-N-N, -N, maybe Anne is his name, Jacob Altman, A-L-T-M-A-N-N. -N. He was born in Sofron, S-O-P-H-R-O-N, Kingdom of Hungary. Ding, 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 ding. Where is Sofron? Well, I had it. Let me see. Sofron is a uh, place in Hungary. It's right on the border there. And he is an American cinematographer of Hungary, German. <laughs> He's got it all. The gypsies and the Germans rise again. Afton, excuse me, Alton photographed some of the most famous film noir of the classic period and won an Academy Award for the cinematography uh, of an American in Paris, becoming the first Hungarian-born person to do so in the cinema. Or the first one they've admitted, right? Alton's last film was... Elmer Gantry in 1960. And his story gets <laughs> pretty amusing. He worked with director Charles Crichton on Birdman of Alcatraz, another um, great um, movie by Burt Lancaster, Birdman of Alcatraz. See, we used to believe they kept people locked up over on Alcatraz, and that movie was about a few of them escaped. The theory was that they locked them up on Alcatraz, which is right outside of San Francisco. Um, if they, if you got locked up on an Alcatraz, you couldn't escape, right? Because the water, the sharks, and all that stuff. Well, some supposedly some people escaped, and supposedly there was a man on Alcatraz who collected birds. 
<laughs> he was named the Birdman of Alcatraz. And there was a famous movie in 1962. I'm only telling you tidbits of these things to hopefully encourage you to go look for yourself. I'm curious. I'm overly curious. I was born asking questions. I want to know how did these lousy gypsy psychopaths get us tricked so badly? So, it is often claimed that film noir is more a matter of visual style than of content. I kind of disagree because I think the content is superb, okay? If so, cinematographers, no less than directors and screenwriters, should perhaps be listed as among the true auteurs of the noir cycle. Yes, they really should be. John Alton would certainly rank as one of its prime exponents. In the heyday of the cycle, especially in the early thrillers of Anthony Mann and in Joseph H. Lewis's cult classics, The Big Combo, Alton created archetypes of noir's main genre, the urban thriller. But he also ingeniously extended the idiom into genres which, in which it less readily associated, such as the western and the costume drama. Alton's eclectic professional background provided ideal training for the financial and stylistic economies of noir. You notice I said financial, right? Costs money to trick us, right? Yeah, pretty pretty significant how this little thing sitting over there really kind of got into our heads, right? So anyways, I did look up Sofron. And here again, this Alton guy born about the same time as the rest of the pack. Oh, I forgot to mention, Alton, they all were wearing hats in film noir movies. Um, You'll notice the men wear hats. The cops all wear hats. Um, And the women are wearing hats. I think the reason everybody's wearing hats is because it makes the men's heads look bigger. And then the women's heads look smaller, obviously. But then also, I think hats in these early film noirs were how we identified the cops. So, this guy, Alton was born in Sofron, Hungary. Where in the heck is that? He was born on October 5th, 1901. Sofron is situated near the western borders of Hungary at the foot of the Alps, 60 kilometers from Vienna and 220 kilometers from Budapest. It is one of the oldest jewel boxes of the country. It creates a bridge between Hungary and its western neighbors opening a gate for foreign guests visiting Hungary, as it is symbolized by the coat of arms of the city. Hmm. So, yeah, um, I'll just show you a little bit about his backstory because it was kind of interesting. He's a pretty big guy here, right? In the summer of 1923, I'm talking about Alton here now, right? In the summer of 1923, five lads drove across the country full of optimism. Joy de Vere and the excitement of all things new. Upon arriving in California, they parked on Hollywood Boulevard in front of the Egyptian movie palace. In the lobby, a gypsy fortune teller read their palms. Each of them, she said, would seek their fortune elsewhere, save for the fifth lad. You, I tell different, she said, you'd better stay. You're going to make it. I didn't make any of this up. I'm only reading. <laughs> that lucky lad was John Alton. 
a cinematographer whose art has been lauded at recent film festivals in Vienna, Japan, Argentina, Telluride, and San Francisco, as well as in retrospectives at the American Museum of the Movie Image, the Pacific Film Archives. Alton's influential legacy was not always so celebrated. However, in fact, his achievements nearly slipped into oblivious before being rediscovered in the past several years. This is why, um, <laughs> so, this story you just can't pass up on, okay? Alton was born in a castle in 1901 in a village on the Austrian border of Hungary. Alton lived to a ripe old age before dying on June 2, 1996 in Santa Monica, California. A child prodigy who sketched constantly, he had his own dark room by the age of five. One day, he saw a man on the street grinding a little box. Inside the box, pictures danced on the screen. The man explained, These are motion pictures, pictures that move. Alton had never seen such a thing and was instantly fascinated. At 18, he set sail for New York to live with a, I don't know, at 18, he was born in 1901. That would make him 1819. He cruised to New York, I guess, before the war. It's kind of funny how these Jews all got out of there right before the war, right? Almost kind of like they knew it was coming. Alton's, Alton, see, I think that this country, this United States country, is the most heavily programmed and brainwashed country on the planet because of how it all got formed. But anyways, I'll get back to that later, but. Um, I think they all gathered here for a purpose. What that purpose is, I'm not going to start speculating. And so he says that um, at 18, he set sail for New York to live with a prosperous uncle, of course, probably a Jew selling jewelry, right? And to take up studies in photochemistry. That was pretty early on. You know, they've been able to trick photos for a very long time. All those... Um, Women in the early ages with those tiny waists. <laughs> they didn't have those tiny waists. That was tr early trick photography. These are gypsies. Alton soon found himself thrust into the movie business. See how this really happens, right? One day, one day I, he says, one day I had the nerve to drop the books and I went down to look at the pictures, he recalled. I stopped at the gates of the Cosmopolitan studio. All of a sudden, a door opened. And a man grabbed me by the shoulder and said, hurry up, we're waiting for you. Um, I don't know how this all happened, but <laughs> so then he went on to say, they put me in a dressing room, stuck me in a uniform, and put me next to Marion Davies, a big star. Marion Davies was the one who supposedly had the big castle that created Hearst Castle. Okay, so... I, I see, like I said, they they write these things, and then I think they kind of give up on certain aspects of these projects and move on to other lies and stuff. So a lot of things kind of get left in the dust that don't seem to make a lot of sense. So how he just walks up and one day is outside of some studio and gets grabbed, I don't know. At the end of the day, they gave me a check. Well, at home, I used to get a dollar fifty a week, and here they gave me twelve fifty for one day. So I lost my balance. Then they called me back the next day to work. I call it work, but I just stood next to Marion Davies, a star. That's all I did. Then we went on location. In 30 days, I became a millionaire. I never went back to college. I don't even know where I left the books. <laughs> 
So having found work at the Paramount Studio Labs, Alton soon saved enough cash to buy a car and venture to California. I get, I don't know. Uh, this is starting to get even too confusing for me at this point. So, <laughs> um, he um, he was offered some opportunity to go to Buenos Aires in 1932. He hung around Buenos Aires for a while. Um, <laughs> this was a good one. In, 19, in 1939, also, very significant year for Hollywood, okay? Go look. In 1939, between 1939 and 1940, they were brainwashing the daylights out of us, okay? The movies they created in 1939 is phenomenal. They did Gone with the Wind. They did My favorite is Goodbye, Mr. Chips, <clears throat> the most famous movie that people don't really know about. Goodbye, Mr. Chips, famous English actor, um, they actually beat out Gone with the Wind that year for the Oscars, one of those years. But anyway, yeah, they pumped out movies in 1930 machine. <laughs> I mean, it was like a machine. And most of them were actually pretty good, just like the film noir between the 40s and 50s. You don't find all the famous people in all these film noirs. A lot of them, without famous people, are highly well done because they were cranking them out, highly quickly cranking them out, okay? So, um, yeah, so he just wanders to Hollywood, back to Hollywood, 39 from South America or something. Well, you know, remember all those people from the war? Um, wasn't there a lot of stories about everybody ending up in South America, the Jews that supposedly escaped or the Nazi men or I don't know. I don't know. Only so much room in the brain some days. So, um, yeah, he got offered to design some studio in Buenos Aires that I don't know. Um, within within a month of his arrival in Buenos Aires, he married a former beauty queen turned journalist who had interviewed Alton aboard a ship during his passage to South America. Uh, 1939, he migrated to Hollywood. He found work at RKO, Paramount, and then Republic, averaging about four B pictures a year. Before his experience, he couldn't find a niche in A films, perhaps because he appeared cocky to many. <laughs> Remark director Vincent Minnelli. People interpreted John's continental poise as effete and arrogant. And to rough and ready American film crews, that could be the greatest affront at all. You know, most of the old Hollywood producers, none of them ever actually... Uh, Supposedly, all of them were Jews, and none of all of them were like high school dropouts. It's all about the money, right? Okay, um, so I don't know. He just <laughs> after the freedom he experienced in Argentina, the idea of changing careers was rather unappealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, so he branded other producers as producers who can't produce. Kind of sounded kind of like an arrogant kind of a guy. But let's get to Elmer Gantry now. That's what we all came for. Elmer Gantry. And this is where, pay attention, they tell us jokes, okay? The reason I think a lot of their jokes fall flat is because their humor is not our kind of humor because they don't totally understand us. So I think some of their jokes do very well. Like, for example, I used to think Seinfeld was fairly funny, talented. Um, and so... Throughout all this is the Joker crew, right? Well, 
Elmer Grantry, the movie that I've been talking about with um, Burt Lancaster, which was a pretty big turning point in this country, Elmer Gantry, it came from a book. The book was a satirical novel written by Sinclair Lewis in 1926 that presents aspects of the religious activity of America in fundamentalism and evangelistic circles and the attitudes of the 1920s public toward it. The novel's protagonist, the Reverend Dr. Elmer Gantry, which is played by Burt Lancaster in the movie, is initially attracted by booze and easy money, although he eventually renounces tobacco and alcohol. So he's initially attracted to booze, easy money, and chasing women. After various forays into evangelism, he becomes a successful Methodist preacher minister despite his hypocrisy and serial sexual indiscretions. So Elmer Guntry was a satirical book based on their view of the American religion during that period, okay? Who was in fear of being presented to be like Elmer Gantry? Well, Billy Graham was. So watch Elmer Gantry and think about Billy Graham and start to see, can you see that Billy Graham is a illusion? He's an actor. He's on the stage. Does any of this start to come to, to come together for you? So, um, so Elmer Gantry was first published in the United States by Harcourt Trade Publishers in March of 1927. It was dedicated by Lewis to the American journalist and satirist H.L. Menchek, M-E-N-C-H-C-K-E-N. On publication in 1927, Elmer Gantry created a public furor. The book was banned in Boston and other cities and denounced from pulpits across the United States. One cleric suggested that Lewis should be imprisoned for five years, and there were also threats of physical violence against the author. Evangelist Billy Sunday... Oh, oh. Evangelist called Lewis Satan's cohort. Cohort. However, the book was a commercial success. It was the best publishing work of fiction in America for the year 1927. So it was the best work of fiction in America, okay? Are you starting to see this fiction connection here? Mark this guy of, of the UC. Berkeley notes, the forces of social good and enlightenment as presented in Elmer Gantry are not strong enough to offer any real resistance to the forces of social evil and banality. Schumer says, while researching the book, Lewis attended two or three church services every Sunday while in Kansas City, and that he took, he's talking about Lewis, the author, okay, he said he took advantage of every possible tangible experience in the religious community. The result is a novel that satirically represents the religious activity of America in evangelistic circles and attitudes of the 1920s toward it. 
So, shortly after the publication of Elmer Gantry, H.G. Wells published a widely syndicated newspaper article called The New American People, in which he largely based his observation of American culture on the Lewis novels. So, Elmer Gantry also appears as a minor character in two later lesser-known Lewis novels, The Man Who Knew Coolidge and Gideon Planish. So, um, yeah, that was pretty big, right? So, I don't know. Just think for yourself. I'm going to be playing some music here, and sometimes music and things may have a lag. That's because my helper, who I hire, who works in another country, we have some communication things, so I can't do tricky things. So if you hear a slight lag, just wait for a second, and it will appear. Why is this song that I'm going to play significant? Well, (laughs) because it's their song. Music can say a lot of things to us, right? The music I'm going to be playing is called I'm On My Way, okay? It is a traditional gospel song. Um, I'm playing you the version that Burt Lancaster sung during the movie Elmer Gantry, okay? Just listen carefully to the words. It is described as a typical going-to-canon song, C-A-N-A-A-N song, and I thought, what? And also possibly an underground railroad song. I thought, well, what is a canon song? I don't know what that means. I've seen that word with the Catholics and stuff, canon, huh? Canon, canon, canon. Well, what's canon? Well, gee, funny I should ask, right? Canon, Phoenician word. (laughs) Okay. Um, Canon was a Semitic-speaking civilization and region in ancient Near East and the late blah, blah, blah. The name Canon appears throughout the Bible where it corresponds to the Levant, L-E-V-A-N-T, in particular, to the areas of southern Levant that provide the main setting of the narrative of the Bible. So southern Levant is what provides the main setting of the Bible. Also, Phoenicia, Felicia, Philista, this always seems like phallus, P-H-I-L-I-S-T-I-A, and the land of Israel, among others in that region. So, the lyrics begin, I'm on my way and I won't turn back. I'm on my way and I won't turn back. I'm on my way and I won't turn back. I'm on my way, great God, I'm on my way. I asked my brother to come with me. So, take it for what it's worth. The song will play in a second. Be safe out there. Chat with you later. Goodbye for now.
hard time, but I'm on my way. Had a mighty hard time, but I'm on my way. It's a mighty hard climb, but I'm on my way. Devil and pray, take another step higher. 